Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, citizens, and thank you for joining us here on the Man in the High Castle After Show, a very special Man in the High Castle After Show with a very special guest. It's all here. It's all next. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, After Buzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. Finally. <laughs> I've, I've not been in here for the music. I think we've always done an other song. Yeah. Like a theme. So I'm like, oh, it's the theme song. But we're back to the actual <laughs> theme song. Yes. Hello, and thank you for joining us here on the Man in the High Castle after show. We are not on a quantum reality, the multiverse, if you will. This All the episodes have been covered. <laughs> this is a very special episode because we have a very special guest. He plays Inspector Keto on the show. We are joined via Skype with Joel De La Fuente. I didn't want to get your name wrong. Had to double look. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. And Welcome, welcome. I should also introduce that I'm not alone. I'm also here <laughs> with... <laughs> hey, how's it going? My name's Carrie Lane. You can find me online at Carrie D. Lane. And uh, Joel, do you have a social media handle you want anybody to come stalk you online with? Hey, Twitter, Instagram, Joel say we need our music a little quieter yes. and then wh- why don't you say that again i was gonna say our, the theme music is so overpowering at the moment <laughs> uh, you can find me on twitter and instagram at my name at joel de la fuente all right cool as i am doing yay thank you so much for joining us so this yeah. <laughs> so this whole time will just be us talking to you about the show and your career and what's upcoming i think the best the best first question would be how did you find out about this role you know, uh, I had just started uh, working with my, my my current managers over at uh, Principal Talent, and we had literally just agreed to work together. And then the next day, they said, "How do you feel about a project called The Man in the High Castle?" It was the very first thing um, that was on their radar for me, and it just ended up being a perfect fit. So uh, that was a good it was a good way to get to know each other, you know, over there. That's a really good way to start a start any business yeah, relationship. Is hey hey here's rolling, work. Yeah. It, but it must yeah. be interesting as an actor who's done a lot of television to have stepped into the Amazon pilot program, which is separate from a lot of other pilot programs. Yeah. What is that? What is that like from the actor standpoint? This is such an interesting period of time. I mean, for, uh, you know, as an actor, I've, it's really exhilarating um, and sort of unprecedented. You know, I've been mm. doing this maybe 20, 25 years now, and there's never been as much uh, opportunity as there has been over the last, say, four or five years with streaming media. Um, And like you said, Amazon's situation is unique. You know, all these different, um, you know, Netflix has its own thing, and Amazon has a thing where they'll produce pilots, and unlike unlike the network model, you're going to get to see those pilots. You know, often Mm -hmm. with networks, they spend a lot of money developing a pilot, and then they make their decisions behind closed doors. So if a pilot isn't picked up, uh, chances are you'll never see it. Uh, with this, with Amazon, they like to sort of put the uh, the viewers uh, in a position where they can have some degree of control. So they they make a um, um, 
a festival of it of sorts and they show all the pilots they produce and viewers get to weigh in with their thoughts and that that factors into um, Amazon's decision making process for whether or not they want to pick it up and that's that must that's exciting for the viewer how how is it as the actor on the project um, this is the only this is the only pilot for Amazon I've, I've mm. uh, ever done but so the experience of it was pretty amazing because uh, it sort of felt like winning the lottery you know like mm. that the, the day comes and you know the pilot is up and people can see it and then you just sort of go online and you just sort of watch all the the comments come streaming in and all the um, you know it's this sort of immediate feedback and I was uh, I was just so amazed at the number of people that were watching right off the get-go and the really strong responses people were having you know pretty much within the first 24 hours we all had a sense that um, it had touched some kind of a chord and you know there's no way you can plan for something like that it was sort of exciting to see now with how the pilot project for the amazon man in the high castle worked for you did you get much time to be able to read any of the book before you started filming or have you read it afterwards at all we had some time i had some time to prepare before um uh and so yeah i did read the book before i, I was a fan of philip k dicks but i'd never uh read this novel before um and you know i mean it's an ama it's such an amazing um uh, challenging novel, and uh, uh, but Keto's not in it, so <laughs> Keto and neither Keto nor Smith are in it. So it was sort of liberating to be able to sort of um, get to uh, be introduced to the world without an expectation of what I was supposed to serve. Um, so I could just sort of enjoy the book in a lot of ways, and then mm -hmm. there was an additional pressure because you know, as the create as the creation of Frank Spotnitz is, uh, I felt sort of an additional pressure to sort of try to find exactly what he was looking for and to try to serve that. Mm -hmm. Now, um, you look very uh, comfy and casual now, and uh, what was it like switching into the role of keto of, like, you know, the button-up and very stiff and uh, hard kind of character? That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's so much fun. Uh, you know, I'm sitting, actually, I'm in my study, and this is where, uh, this is where I put myself on tape um, for the audition, you know. I was actually given the material for both. You know, they said, which, you know, read between, you know, what role do you want to read for? And I, I had uh, material for uh, for Keto and for uh, Tagomi. So, um, you know, I looked at them and I knew that Tagomi was, you know, uh, one of the protagonists of the novel. It's just mm -hmm. one of the one of the great um, characters, I think, you know, in, in, uh, in Philip K. Dick novels. So, uh, you know, I was really that really appealed to me the idea of reading for that. But when I read something about when I just read the sides for keto, I just sort of really felt like I had a, you know, this doesn't happen all the time. In fact, it happens very rarely for me where you you immediately feel a connection with the material and you you have a point of view about who the character is and how you want to play it. And from the very beginning, I sort of had this uh, uh, feeling of ownership over him. You know, I, I really felt sort of um, a strong appetite to want to play him. So. Uh, and it's great because he—he's, you know, I'd like to think he's a lot different than I am in my everyday life. So it's—it's uh, it's great to sort of get to uh, have the opportunity to play someone that's not like me. Mm -hmm. What was it like being on a period piece show? Because I mean, you have Hemlock Grove, which is a, its own like a genre show of horror and extreme um, extreme situations, and then you go to Man in the High Castle, and that's period alternate reality what were those experiences <laughs> like uh well with a show like man in the high castle uh 
which is such a huge undertaking. You know, it's so epic in scope, and um, there's so there's a lot of characters covering a huge swath of the world. Um, I think that so so much of it depends on uh, collaboration. You know, not, not just collaboration between people in your own department, like collaboration with the other actors, but with everybody. I mean, um, so much of our work is dependent on. I mean, it's always the case, you know, you're all, all collaborating together in whatever you do. But in this particular piece, I think um, we were all stretching so much and having to do it together. So, mm -hmm. you know, so much of so much of my work is really influenced uh, and relying uh, reliant upon, you know, the work of the cinematographers, um, um, the, you know, the, the, the lighting, um, the wardrobe department, the production design. Uh, all of it, the props, I mean, all of it together sort of comes together, like you said, because it's a period piece um, and it's 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 like an alternate reality period piece. You know, you, you have to start with people like, you know, Drew Boughton, who's the, the brilliant, brilliant production designer, who incidentally was the production designer for Hemlock Grove. Um, you start with like the world that he sort of um, uh, creates uh, and then it's sort of brought to life, you know, by the people who build the sets and then props sort of take it from there and then you know uh, Audrey Fisher who is the our first um, uh, wardrobe designer and uh, J.R. Halbacher who took over in season two um, they sort of helped create the costumes and they were so brilliant and detailed in their creations that it really informed so much of, of what we did as actors and and they were oh there's always a great dialogue between everybody you know about well where would you need this pocket or I think the fit has to be like this and you know by having a costume fit like that it changes the way you walk and you know, in the case uh, um, with Audrey and costumes, you know, she was really um, helpful and instrumental in helping me find um, uh, the right pair of glasses for keto. And for mm -hmm. me, that's like um, that's sort of my touchstone, you know, like the, the glasses more than any other thing um, that I have on the show really sort of helps, you know, place me um, into that world and into that character. So so really, I think uh, it's it really is a group effort, not just what everyone contributes individually but it's how we affect each other um that makes a huge difference on the show you know everyone really affects everyone else's work mm. what i only because i'm curious what kind of glasses were they specifically that they're vintage okay I mean, they, they, they're unique nice. um, yeah so uh i'm very protective of those <laughs> did you get to keep them after no no, no oh. they're <laughs> they're in a secret alternate reality safe somewhere but, oh, but wait but i do i, I do have um, I, I do have like a, like sort of like a, uh, a substitute pair I keep around just in case. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> now, um, were some of the wardrobe vintage or uh, made for the show? Because you said the glasses were, but was any other piece of wardrobe? Oh yeah, I think it's a, you know it's a combination of everything. You know, okay. I think when they can find vintage, you know, they get it, they pull it, but they also build a lot of things. You know, mm. there's a lot, um, a lot of things are built from scratch. Uh, it's pretty remarkable. Very cool. Hmm. Um, I should not be at a loss for questions, but because you mentioned earlier, you you mentioned earlier that, or I mentioned earlier, that this is an after show that we're kind of that we've already covered the show. So I didn't want to get into the nuts and bolts of season two. Like, what did you think of this scene or that scene? But what are some of your favorite moments mm -hmm. as an actor you got to do as Inspector Keto? Oh gosh, uh, from season two or just or just in general overall. Well, the, um, from season one, it was great to just, uh, uh, you know, the, 
it was great to sort of get my feet wet by sort of torturing Frank. I mean, that sounds like a crazy <laughs> thing, you know, but, but uh, working with Rupert um, over like a couple of really intense days at the beginning sort of set the tone for, for me, for um, what the show was going to be like, what the character was going to be like, um, trying to sort of, uh, I mean, you know, we had conversations at the beginning about wanting to uh, really pursue all different sides of these characters so that um you know that keto is very clearly framed as an antagonist at the beginning but the intention all along was to try to sort of over time sort of walk around a character so you start seeing them from different perspectives and you start getting a sense of them as people so that um you start to get a sense that what they are doing, while you think initially might be evil, mm. you start to see their point of view as you go along, and hopefully you start to sort of um, empathize. You know, like um, in one of the more radical uh, challenges of that, you know, when, you know, in season two, when you start sort of rooting, you, you potentially could be rooting for, um, you know, Adolf Hitler's health to hold mm -hmm. up. You know, and that's, and which is sort of a crazy idea, but that's sort of the idea to sort of, humanize the people so you can sort of have a deeper understanding of what the conflicts are you know that they're they're complex things there's evil people doing good things and um um uh good people pe doing evil things yeah doing terrible things mm. so um you know we sort of started off that way but you know you you have this really intense uh, interrogation stuff and then <laughs> frank spotnitz is saying you know we really want to humanize you and i said i'm i'm all on board for that and then i I get my first script after we have that conversation and, and I, you know, I'm responsible for killing Frank's sister and kids. And I thought, well, you're sort of starting me off in the hole a little bit here. <laughs> yeah. we'll, see, we'll see what we can, what we can come up with together. And, well, you know, it's, it was a, it's, you know, a real treat collaborating with everybody. And, and that must and be Frank. an incredible show of confidence for you and the character that you built that it's, no, we can dig him this far into the hole and he's coming up. Mm -hmm. This was... Or, I guess, or not, or not, I don't know. It's, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a great, um, that's what I'm trying to do, but I think um, at the end of the day, it's always like the viewer that sort of teaches me and teaches us where we've been successful and where we haven't. Like, it, it's really exciting for me when, um, you know, I've been really um, delightfully surprised at the response that, uh, the kind of response that people have towards Ido's character, that... Um, in addition to just sort of being scared of the character or sort of saying, you know, ah, oh, you're, you're awful. You know, I want this to happen. You want that to yeah. happen. You. There's also like a lot of, um, identification that's going on with the character, which, which is a real, yeah. um, uh, which is very, uh, um, interesting to me and makes me feel really good. Cause it sort of feels like, um, they have a sense of his point of view. And, and to me, that's really important. Did you have a lot of fan interaction via Twitter? Cause now, you know, many actors can live tweet with their shows, but, uh, you know, the show's a little different because they air all the episodes, so you don't quite get that experience. Um, but did you have many people on Twitter reaching out to you about the show? Uh, I, I guess relative for me, yes. I mean, I, I don't really know what it's like, um, you know, when you have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers. But for me, you know... Um, I've had a chance to interact with a lot of folks. I, you know, I try to answer people when, when they take the time to answer me. When I have some time, I like to try to answer back. Because um, I remember what it was like, you know, you know, when I grew up wanting to be an actor and just really being engaged with what I was seeing, there was no way to interact at all. So the fan in me always sort of appreciates, um, you know, I really appreciate when people reach out and let me know what they think. And, and so I, you know, 
it's such a neat venue to try to you know you have a way to sort of communicate back when you have a chance so so I try to I try to keep up on social media actually total random fan question <laughs> thing um, have you and with cosplay being such a big thing nowadays have you had anybody cosplay your characters and send images to you or anything like that uh, not uh, uh, not real I'm, I wanted to say yes but I think that's just my own fantasy like because <laughs> your I outfits are fantasy specific- of, like someone wanting to wear like um, Dr. Price's uh, long white gloves from like, mm-hmm. that kind of thing but uh, someone recently just posted uh, on Instagram um, they made like a doll of keto they were mm. making little dolls of the different characters oh. uh, it was really uh, it was cool it's really cool I also saw you tweeted you tweeted recently that there's an incognito mode I believe on Safari that looks a lot like Inspector Keto <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, that was pointed out someone some, I think a fan sort of mm. brought that up. it's hilarious just the, the hat and the glasses so keto knows what your web viewing habits are, so be careful. So that's not incognito at all. <laughs> Only he knows. Yeah. yeah. Giving yeah. the information for a useful time. Incognito? Yes. Oh, I, ah. I, I'll, I'll show myself out. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, on the show, you had a um, not a ton of physical activity compared to some of the extreme fight scenes and all, but you still got to do a lot. Um, what was that like? And did you try to do any of your own stunts or were they kind of restrictive on what you were allowed to do? Uh, there's dialogue about everything on the show. So, mm. you know, I, I think if you, um, if you're game to participate in things, I mean, unless, unless they're really concerned about your safety, I think they're very eager to have you do the things that you're, you feel capable of doing. Um, in my case, I haven't had anything really, um, too dangerous to do. It's just been handling firearms, um, and you know the stuff with like a squib, like just getting shot uh, a little bit, and uh, there there's a big explosion. But re- really, all that stuff was very manageable. We have a great, um, you know, we have a great uh, st- like special effects staff and stuff like that. So I always felt really comfortable doing that stuff. Actually, now that you mentioned it, I'm like, wait, I do a very specific episode <laughs> question. Um, so at the end, where did Keto get shot by Frank? Uh, he gets shot uh, in his shoulder. Um, shoulder. Mm. Okay. So like a wing clipped kind of that it, it'll hurt but he'll live. Yeah, it actually sort of just grazes him. Oh, yeah. okay. Mm. There's discussion about the the extent of the wound, but um, uh, the whole idea behind that sort of um, sequence is uh, you know because a lot of people too I've heard people are like, um, how on earth did Keto survive that explosion? You know that feeling of like. Um, uh, and, and I think that's sort of the, the point that was that people were that I think the writers were trying to make is that through the initial actions of Juliana uh, wanting yeah. to save um, Thomas, like that begins like a whole chain of events. Like her her individual act of kindness influences everyone in such a way that they all do one small thing that leads to basically the world being saved. Um, and in in Keto's case, what happens is. Um, he should be dead. I mean, uh, from a couple different things. One, Frank pulls a gun on him, but it's Yoshida who sort of gets him out of the way a little bit, so he gets shot in the shoulder, and Yoshida throws him inadvertently into the corner, and in the corner by the stairs, structurally, is the only place that's standing when the bomb blows up. So, um, ironically, it's Frank trying to kill Keto that ends up saving Keto because he ends up getting tossed into this area that saves him. Um, and because he's alive, he's then able to receive the film from Tagomi and then take, he's the only person that could take it to Smith mm-hmm. because of their agreement that they have. And then Smith can then take it, um, 
you know, over to Germany. So, you know, all those little things tie together. And, you know, it's like a hair's breadth here or there. None of the, you know, mm. we go to war, you know, and it's just because of all these small little things happening together that it adds up that, um, that the world is saved. That was the idea. No, thank you very much for the answer. Because we were talking about, they're like, wait a minute. Because the way it the scene kind of plays out, it looks more like you're shot in the chest. And shoulder makes sense because it's like, okay, well, shoulder, you're not going to die. But it's definitely going to give that same effect of, you know, the twist back. And, I mean, it's good you were thrown to the ground because at least you're on the ground and you don't get blasted down mm. from, a you know, the explosion itself. So, good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, and that <laughs> I've... I've been the sci-fi fan that I am. I've been prop- I've been a huge proponent of the multiverse theory within Man in the High Castle that I feel that I feel the the one universe we're seeing is the universe that all these things happen for everything to go right. Mm-hmm. And that the multiverse theory tells you that there's one where one thing happened and then that didn't happen and then it gets people tell me to stop talking. <laughs> but have you had to, have you had complicated discussions like that mm. with people on set of like have people gotten very confused or not know where they are or what 1962 it is or how many 1962s are there? Have there been any fun anecdotes like that? It's perpetual. I mean, because, uh, you know, you always want to know as much as possible, you know, when you're trying to create a scene or create your character. And the further you go along sometimes when you're shooting, you know, the less and less time you have and then unexpected things happen and sometimes scripts get delayed or have to be changed for certain reasons. So there's always the moment or two where you wake up and suddenly you're convinced you have no idea what's going on. So then (laughs) you have to have, you know, suddenly you're asking like the most minute question or the most basic question, you know, and, and, uh, you know, working with these folks is amazing because every, you know, we're, we're like a family and everyone, um, everyone feels comfortable being able to talk about stuff like that. So there are constant questions going on, you know, like, uh, what exactly do you think is happening here? (laughs) Am I, am I crazy or is this happening? And then someone will be, Oh, what a great idea. I didn't think that I thought actually this was happening. So you have to sit down and, you know, have these conversations and, um, uh, but, but, you know, I think that the fact that people ask a lot of questions is good because, um, more often than not, it makes the world deeper because sometimes someone will ask a question that no one had ever thought of before, and then we sort of have to accommodate it, or the world gets a little bigger because of it. Mm. Well, do you know any particular questions like that that um, made that adjustments had to be made? Well, um, not to get into too many specifics, but there were a lot of questions about, for example, um, who um, who Juliana was in this alternate world, you know, and. Um, uh, and how similar is she like mm. you know how similar is she and how different is she you know you were talking about multiverses mm-hmm. well you know because one thing didn't happen is everything else the same except for that one thing or does that one thing start a chain reaction of things that make her a completely different person mm-hmm. um, and obviously the person this, this impacted the most was Alexa because mm-hmm. you know she's trying to build this character um, and you know for her process, it would have been great to have all the answers at the beginning, but because of the nature <laughs> uh, of, of, a, of a shooting schedule, you know, there were so many things in the air at once. And so, you know, she was just amazing about being open and super creative and being able to create on the fly. And, you know, when I watched season two, I think, you know, she's able to sort of straddle this amazing line between creating someone that looks and acts so much 
like the Juliana we know, but is different in all these strange, small, subtle ways that she's just, you know, it's sort of like, um, it reminds me of when you, I don't know if you've ever seen like someone sleepwalking, but it's very disconcerting because you, they look the same, they're in the same body, but they're moving a little bit different, you know, or just mm. the way that they're sort of interacting. It's creepy because it's like a different person in, in the same body. And I think, you know, I think Alexa was able to pull off creating a different character within the same, you know, packaging. That so. was exciting to watch. And I also think as, as frustrating as it, or I don't want to say frustrating, but as difficult as that must be for her, I think it's also must be incredibly rewarding to be able to be able to like, oh, I get to create a variation of the character I've already created. Mm-hmm. Do you do you see in the future Keto having an alternate nineteen sixty two? Well, uh, <laughs> season three is coming up, and <laughs> I think we just have to keep ourselves. I have That's to keep fair. myself as spry as possible for all possibilities. I mean, sure, I would. I would love to see that. I would love to explore, you know, surfer Keto, but we'll <laughs> have to see what happens. You know, uh, someone asked me, you know, what they thought um, an alternate version of Keto would be. And, and, you know, I think that without the war, you know, eight times out of ten or so, he's he's just a quiet, disciplined fisherman on a boat somewhere or, um, you know, or a farmer in the countryside or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just, you know, the difference an event can make. Mm. That he's just a quiet keep to himself, do his work. Well, he had a family, yes? The woman he called? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I would think he'd be at home with his family. Because <laughs> there's that phone call, and it's like, oh, you should just go back. It'd be better. But, you know, he has his duties Duty here. Calls. Duty calls. Yeah. That's... yeah. Um, you mentioned shooting schedule. Uh, what was the shooting schedule like? In season two? And in general, That's... if you have anything mm. interesting from season one. Well, there. Um, uh, it's an interesting time, too. You know, uh, I guess uh, there's so many differences now because there's so many different shows and different kinds of shows and formats of shows. But mm. it's like this um, in this emerging new streaming world, um, 10 episodes most of the time seems to be the default now. I mean, there's 13 episodes, there's 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. Shows over the, you know, like in Great Britain are often just three. Four, five, <laughs> yeah. However many it takes. But I think like the form that has the form of the day here, you know, with Netflix and Amazon and Hulu these days, they sort of default to 10 unless there's a compelling reason for more. Mm-hmm. So that translates to roughly, you know, between four to six months of shooting, you know, you know, really between four and five months of shooting unless something sort of gets extended. Mm-hmm. Um, so last year we were shooting, you know, between five and six months because we had, um, uh, uh, we ran into like a short little work stoppage in there for a while. So it's six intense months, you know, of, um, you know, you start uh, thinking you're extremely prepared. And then as you go along, you know, it's a it's a long race, you know, you know, mm-hmm. even though it's only it, it sort of makes me shake my head and wonder, like how people put together 22, 24 episodes since year after year after year, because that's a I mean, 10 episodes is already sort of a grind. I, I can't even imagine what, you know, I can't I can't imagine, you know, SVU right now, like on their. Uh, you know, they just had their 400th episode. I mean, I mean, to be doing that day in and day out for so long, you know, that's 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 a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. Do you know when season three starts shooting? Yes. Oh, I don't. I didn't know if it was publicly available or not. I don't want to publicly available, but we do go back to work soon. I think okay. um, uh, we will be shooting uh, sometime this spring. 
Okay. So then roughly six months later, we're thinking <laughs> the end of the year of uh, winter for season three? <laughs> I, I think the intent would be, you know, I, I think we can talk about the intent. I think the intent is to um, to drop a season in roughly that same period as the first two seasons, which is basically between, as long as it happens between Thanksgiving and before uh, the Christmas holidays. Mm. Yeah. Okay. A late November. Yeah. A late November, early December. If all goes well, yeah. So people can people can watch it on the plane. People yeah, can watch, watch it on the plane, plane wherever they're going. <laughs> watch it and, you know, make you want to go out and buy your friend a pair of glasses for Christmas. That sort of thing. Okay. <laughs> there you go. I, I think we should start trying to market that right now. I'm kidding. Right? Come <laughs> on. Got to bring it back. Did you have, um, can you speak at all of, like, uh, where where did you film? Uh, your, you had a few different locations, quote, unquote, because, I mean, we don't really know of the magic of movies and shows where you filmed, um, but where were you guys filming for this show? We shot the pilot uh, in Seattle, and then everything else has been in Vancouver and, uh, and the surrounding area. Did you... So, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so uh, uh, if you're living there then for that amount of time, um, do you kind of like get into a routine and know the area by the end? Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you're there for a while, so you um, you definitely get to know uh, you get to you, you get to know it better. You know, I'd never been there ever before. So mm. uh, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful city. It's got you know great people, amazing food, which is good, uh, and it's really outdoorsy. So there's a million things to do. The weather is so beautiful over the summer. Uh, it doesn't get dark until like ten thirty. So people are out, you know, walking on the water, hiking you know, sailing, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and it just, you know, it provides a lot of different, um, there's a lot of, you know, uh, different looks to the city, you know, cause there's mountains there are bridges and there's water and, you know, it's an urban setting too. So it can, it can, um, masquerade as a bunch of different places. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we also have a, a studio, uh, in the area too, where we shoot a lot of the interiors and stuff like that. Um, and then a couple of set locations where, um, you know, where the Kempe Thai headquarters is, like, that's a certain location there. Mm. If uh, if it's light, if it, there's light until 10 p.m., do you guys, like, you know, start at 9 in the morning, not too early or anything, and then just go late, or they don't care? No, you start, basically what happens is you start really early on Monday, and then you, if you know, you try to shoot everything you're supposed to shoot. And right. what ends up happening is they need to send you home at some point so they can call you back early the next day without having to sort of run too far over. So so you start early on Monday, then you work late, then you start a little bit later on Tuesday because you went late on Monday <laughs> or Wednesday. So by the time you get to Friday, you know, they have a term called fratter days where often by the time you finish Friday night, it's actually really Saturday morning and so half your weekend is gone. Oof. Ooh. Um Yell Teagle texted me this question. Yell Teagle is a host here at Afterbus TV. She's on the Law & Order SVU's after show. Oh, very cool. And the question is pretty much, do you see your character coming back to SVU? Especially now that on SVU they're doing a lot more tech, tech-based cases. Oh, wow. Mm. Uh, um, never say never, I guess. <laughs> I mean, no one has talked to me about that, but... Uh, uh, you know, I think it would be fun. It's been a, it's it's already been a few years since I was on there, so I think it would be fun to sort of um, uh, to go back into that world. You know, and and obviously I'm a huge fan of Marishka's and um, a huge fan of all the people that work on that show. So yeah, it would be. I mean, 
if the possibility ever presented itself, I would I would be very open to that. Good to hear. Very cool. Yeah. We'll pass on the info. <laughs> Uh, is there any particular role that you've always wanted to do that you haven't been able to yet? Well, there's a lot of roles I haven't been able to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, any in particular that you're like, I've always wanted to do X, Y, Z. You know, the, the greatest thing an actor can have is opportunity. You know, mm -hmm. like it's, it's the thing that you always feel is in such scarcity. And so... Um, what I found over the years for myself is that when opportunity presents itself, that usually ends up being the best, most exciting um, uh, a teacher and uh, opportunity. So, like, if I'm thinking, oh, I would really love to play, you know, Henry V or something, you know, uh, but then what ends up happening is um, Dr. Price, you know, and Hemlock Grove, I was never anticipating anything like that. But then, you know, for example, Dr. Price has been one of the most um, exciting and gratifying opportunities I think I've ever had. You know, I, I think that mm. um, typically, if if you can stay sort of open to what is presented to you, a lot of the time, you know, I'm surprised by the depth of what the opportunity is. And and certainly over the last few years, I've, I've just, um, I've been so grateful about the, the, the parts I've gotten to play. Because, you know, when, uh, you know, Keto is really in about five minutes of the pilot. So, I had no idea um, how much the character would be explored, or, or really who exactly the character would end up being, or mm -hmm. you know, and that's still in, in process too. But you know, it's sort of like opening a present, and and the longer we go, and the more opportunity you have to find out who he is. And it's just been, you know, I feel real grateful to be playing the part because you know, I'm, I'm very fond of the chief inspector. I think that's good acting advice for sure. Yeah. Um... Do you have anything else upcoming other than the man in the high castle that you're able to talk about? Uh, let's see. Um, well, I've been doing this. Um, uh, I, I do this one person play uh, whenever I have the opportunity uh, called hold these truths. Um, it's a one person play by a woman named Jeannie Sakata. And it's about uh, a Japanese American Quaker named Gordon Hirabayashi, who was one of three Japanese Americans to refuse the internment during world war two. Mm. Uh, he it's a true story he it's an amazing story it's it's uh very moving and hilarious and um tragic um and especially today you know um when human rights are sort of uh um on the bubble when when people are sort of arguing over them or you mm -hmm. know losing human rights or debating whether or not they should you know voluntarily give them up for to to feel safe here or there i think his story is really resonant to people today so after season two finished i had a little run at the guthrie theater in minnesota uh doing the play and i hope to get to do it again um when when time allows and then um i i did work on this documentary uh, this Rick Burns documentary on the Chinese Exclusion Act that I just heard today is going to be closing um, a film festival in San Francisco so I'm going to go check that out and um, it's a very important uh, historical period in our country that people should know about uh, and then uh, I have a Madam Secretary coming up next month where I play the president of the Philippines uh, the fictional president of the mm. Philippines um, and then I'm going to I have a small part in a um, and a Jennifer Lawrence film coming up that I'm doing next month. That all sounds nice. really awesome, yeah. A lot of fun stuff. Yeah, nice. and then season three. So, you know, it's uh, nothing uh, nothing to complain <laughs> about. Very exciting. It sounds like you're very busy doing a lot of doing a lot of fun stuff that 
that you want that you're absolutely excited to do it. I can tell just that. What did Wikipedia say? Wikipedia said timeless. Is that a lie? Uh, oh, they yeah. Maybe maybe Wikipedia knows something I don't. Yeah. I mean, I- that would be great. <laughs> or Limitless. I said it wrong. I was oh, going to say, I'm yeah. on the Timeless show. I'm excited. I'm like, you're going to be on Timeless? <laughs> no. I got those confused. Now Maybe for just... season two, you know. Uh, that's a neat show. That, it involves also time travel and alternate kind of alternate realities in a way because they get adjusted. Uh, my pal Sakina Jack was in that. She's awesome. Oh, very cool. Well, they didn't ask a question yet, but someone in the chat said, uh, you are their crush from the show. From, from from Man in the Castle? Yeah. <laughs> are we going to put this person's username on blast or are we going to uh, let him be? Serenity Q26. Um, but yeah, I was like, any questions? Because <laughs> we, we do this live, so sometimes people are able to tune in and you know do questions. Um, we had a decent uh, community of talking when the show aired, but it, it is very, it's been an interesting experience on our end that people have reached out to us on Twitter when they couldn't find an episode that they're, that, you know, that end of the show that they want to talk about it <laughs> with, with us that were, they're like, oh my goodness, where's the episode? So I think that's kind of a testament to how good Man in the High Castle is and that how good of a job that uh, people like you who are involved in it, like how much effort you put into it. Oh, thanks. You know, it's such a, After Buzz is such a great, great idea, you know, because it gives you, like it, it, it provides a community for people to sort of come and talk about a show, which it's it's such a good idea. But it's so interesting because with a show like with ours, it's like how do you, like what do you talk about and when? I mean, and I know you set up your own schedule, which mm. is great. So it's sort of like you know, sort of like a book club almost, right? Like you you create the rules mm, yourself. Pretty much, yeah. stuff. Um, but it is it's it's such an interesting thing because when you for example, like when you have a show still, you know, like a show like Game of Thrones, for example, where, you know, you have time, you know, and everyone, if, if you're keeping up, then there's that weekly schedule. And um, and so it sort of builds that sort of momentum. But with a show, you know, with a show that's on Netflix or on Amazon, like our show for Man in the High Castle, it all comes out at once. So what are you allowed to talk about and what aren't you allowed to talk about? You know, like mm-hmm. at a certain time, because everyone sort of, uh, it really is a lot like reading a book because mm. uh, um, you never know what, what page someone's going to be on. But everyone has the whole book in their hands, you know. I'm a big fan of – I'm a big proponent of something they're not doing yet called the spoiler-free Wikipedia. Yeah, right. Whereas essentially what I do is if – because while I was covering this show, we covered it on a weekly – we covered two episodes on a weekly basis. Uh-huh. So if you went on Wikipedia after like the episode – like the third episode, we watched the third episode all 10 episodes would have been up there. Mm. So I like to go into the revision history to a time when I'm sure they won't spoil anything for me. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing worse than walking into a spoiler, you know what I mean? Mm. It's not a, not a fan. Experience. Um, yeah, so what do you so do you guys cheat, though? Like, say you, you know you're going to be doing episodes one and two, and then you go home and you're trying to squeeze in the two episodes but then you get on a roll do you keep going or and then the next day you just sort of pretend you don't know what happens in episodes three and four no, no i stopped <laughs> we stopped yeah i stopped too i do i do remember when this show dropped um, initially realizing like oh i have to stop now i would have watched all this in a weekend well we do predictions at the end of an episode so it does make it a little difficult that you can't really make predictions then if you know what's going to happen and then also, with we did two episodes a week, and that was uh, a lot of content to squeeze into an, uh, one of our shows. So it'd be a little too much 
to get into if we bothered to get more than that and be like, wait, I can't keep track. Um, there is also a lot to talk about in the episodes, I guess, right? Yes. About what might be happening or, you know, because a lot of things aren't super clear off, like right off the bat, right? You have to sort of wait to find out mm -hmm. that, you know, why is Tagomi eating a Twinkie, like all that kind of stuff. That was interesting. That was a fun reveal. I like that too because I, I noticed that moment too. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I uh, well, the, and then this show is interesting too. Uh, we hadn't had a chance to read the book yet, but maybe for season three we will. But I, I'm, it's interesting to hear that it's a bit different than the show because you won't, we wouldn't have that same like, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen because that's no. uh, so weird to hear that Keto and Smith aren't in it. I'm like, what? Yeah. No yeah. way. I'm very you interested. Yeah. Book. Pardon? I'm, I started. You I started it this morning. Yes, it's be a fan new. <laughs> I was like uh, new fan fiction, but I don't quite mean it that way. The <laughs> no. other kind of fan fiction. <laughs> I've heard a little bit about the fan fiction floating floating around out there. <laughs> I only heard about it. Okay. Well, because yeah, I'm for reading the book and then doing the show. I'm I'm also on the Expanse show and I'm reading the book at the same time. And there's certain most things are pretty similar. Some are different, and I can't make predictions with my co-host. But I like hearing what she thinks is going to happen. So you know the thing with um the thing with uh, the Man in the High Castle uh, novel is it when you read it, it it sort of um it, it makes you wonder how on earth you would uh, you would adapt it. I mean, mm. it, it, it requires um, artistic leaps of faith and and real adaptation because you can't you can't take um, the thinking of someone like Philip K. Dick, who who really was ahead of his time, really was a genius, but also extremely dense and literary, and just sort of put it on screen. Like you have to translate it, you know, you, and you have to adapt it. And so, um, and we're sort of. Uh, we've moved past a lot of the plot elements of that book, you know, with, with the end of the first season. So, um, so we're sort of like in definitely in new territory now. We're just in, in the world he created, but not, not bound by any plot anymore. You know, we're sort of, sort of in our own, our own space. Which is a TV show is the best place to be. Because mm -hmm. now you get to make, tell your own stories, make your own characters, do your own, do your own thing. But it was, I didn't have a yeah. question. I just wanted oh. to. Commend, I just wanted to commend the show. Now, have you had any uh, friends or family who are a fan of the book, or did anybody know the book and they're kind of like, or they've become huge fans of the show, kind of like try to get insider info from you? <laughs> uh, I um, uh, no one in my family uh, was really familiar with the novel when I started working on the show. Uh, but what was actually sort of very um, moving and flattering for me was. Uh, I have a I have a 15 year old daughter and I have two daughters, but my my oldest one, this is the first time I've been on a show that she actually, you know, likes. And oh. Her <laughs> uh, so that's been really nice. It's you know been it's given us a lot of really you know a lot of interesting conversations and also all of her friends, uh, their response to this world where, um, you know where you where you don't have um, where human rights are are sort of disregarded i mean they they reacted so strongly and uh had such a strong point of view about everything it was great it sort of really fostered dialogue and communication and um um it, it gave them a lot of things they wanted to talk about so i was actually surprised by that I, I was surprised that 
a lot of people who watch the show are a lot younger than I thought that they would be. You know, you know, it's pretty popular among people who are, you know, you know, people between 15 and, and 23, 24 years old. Like a, a lot of people in that age range watch the show and, and um, really want to talk about it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel it's a show that uh, promotes discussion uh, rather than it's because some people could argue that, you know, it's like, oh, why would you want to show a world where Nazis and are in charge and the Japanese are treating people so horribly, but is it rather than a way to promote discussion? I, I think um, I think it would be very unusual for someone to be able to watch the show and to not have anything to say about it. I mean, it, it's sort of, because it's not just, uh, I mean, it's quite provocative. Um, mm-hmm. So so I think it really does foster that kind of, um, uh, um, that feeling hopefully it sort of stirs you up in a way that makes you want to talk about it and hopefully because it is like you know alternate reality because it is sort of the people over there and not you right here mm-hmm. that it can enable you you know like all art like you know it, it can enable you to um see your own world in a different way or allow you to have a thought about the world that you live in that you might not have been able to have um had you not had this sort of show to, to sort of um, be a prism for you to see your own world through, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, no, totally. I think that's an excellent explanation of the show. And I also... And it's become a lot more so, obviously, over yes. the last... Yes. <laughs> I mean, when we were doing season two, it was like nobody nobody had any any inkling that, um, you know, that a year later, here's where we would be. You know, like, we you know, we, we just didn't. I mean... Yeah. You know, so, it's, so it's been an interesting period of time. Well, we'll see what season three comes out to be. <laughs> yeah, we, we we touched upon a little bit of current events, but not too much. I mean, we stayed on oh, the show. There was enough to talk about with the show that yes. we were very. I think I said it up top at the season two of just like we watched season one, thinking like, wow, this is an alternate reality. And then we watched season yeah. two of like, <laughs> we should have frank discussions about our yeah. society. <laughs> well, that's that's an amazing thing, right? I mean, I mean, that's. Ideally, that's what, um, that's what, uh, you know, and not to get too highfalutin. Please. Right. Using the word art here or there. But I think when, when you, when you tell a story or when you're trying to tell a story, nothing is more, uh, gratifying than having people find the specific work that you're trying to do on your story, finding relevance, active, immediate relevance in their own lives from it. I mean, that. what else is, what else are you really doing it for other than that to sort mm-hmm. of um, provide the opportunity for dialogue and for someone to feel their place in the world via your story. I mean, that's sort of, that's why people started telling stories in the first place, you know, to explain why the sun comes up and why the, why the sun goes down at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know, why, why the crops grow and all that stuff. I mean, that's sort of, that's sort of the genesis of someone standing up and saying, Hey, you know, look at me and I have something to say. I think that's a very good explanation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say, any other... Oh, any... Um, I always like asking uh, actors, were there any happy accidents on film uh, while you were filming, rather, uh, you know, where something didn't go as planned but worked out for the best? Uh, I mean... This isn't quite an answer to that question. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of joking around that happens. Set because oh, do tell. Just because it's so it's so intense and so um, you know 
a lot of bad things are happening. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we take it very seriously, but at the same time, you sort of, you can't live in that for, you know, a 15 or 16 hour day all the time and, Mm. and sort of be able to sort of keep it fresh and, and, um, and keep, and take care of yourself at the same time. So, you know, Mm -hmm. there it's, there's often like some unexpected and interesting laughs that happen, you know, in the most dire of circumstances. But, you know, we always have to remember that to be respectful too of, you know, the location we're in, because if you don't understand, you know, if, if you're not in our situation, it can definitely be misconstrued. You know, if you're walking around, you know, wearing a Kempe Tai uniform, cracking jokes, like, you know, that, that could sort of be not the most responsible behavior if you're in public somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. like if you're wearing a Nazi uniform, you have to be very careful about what you're representing in the world um, while you're working. So, uh, but, but when we're on set, sometimes some really funny things have happened or, you know, like watching, you know, uh, you know, watching the, um, uh, the crown prince of Japan fall asleep in his chair with his mouth <laughs> up, you know, like that, that's, that's always really funny. And, but were you an instigator of any of those pranks? Sure. I mean, who better to crack a joke than the than the than the um, chief inspector of the secret police? You know. Uh, now, was it more than just jokes? Were there like practical jokes on people, or more just you guys made each other laugh? Just making each other. You know, this <laughs> we did this thing. It never really. No one has ever never really saw the light of day. But um, we were. Uh, I was doing this thing for. Amazon social media or something. So I thought it would be funny. Uh, I just got it in my head because I was really enjoying watching all these the other Amazon shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, wouldn't it be really funny if uh, our characters on our show would audition for some of these other shows, but as our characters, you know? Yes. So, okay. A couple of days we, you know, while we were on, yeah, because also we're on set shooting because we're in costumes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, trying to grab scenes, you know, try to get the sides from scenes from like transparent, for example, <laughs> that, uh, you know, and have, you know, I, it, no one is ever going to see it, but I, I have, um, you know, Oba Grubman, Fuhrer Smith, um, you know, doing, you know, like, uh, uh, doing Jeffrey Tambor, uh, you know, and, and I'm, I'm Judith Light, you know, in, in that, in a, in the bathtub scene, you know, from season two and transparent or something. And then, <laughs> And everybody doing Red Oaks because Red Oaks is hilarious and it's really funny to do that um, as characters from Man in the High Castle, especially Keto. Keto is really fun to sort of audition for any of those parts because uh, he's sort of intense about everything he does. So, you know, if you're doing, you know, you know, if you're reading any of the characters from Red Oaks, it's just it's just pretty funny. But the sort of the tension between his character and the funny material or whatever. Come on, they're not going to leak out on your Twitter account or Instagram or on YouTube somewhere, maybe? Uh, I put a short one out of, um, uh, I think it was doing Red Oaks. I, I have all of us, like, I have a lot of us doing that stuff. But see, um, you need consent from everybody involved to sort mm. of so, I, uh, someday, maybe. Go we'll get see. those consent forms signed, you know, and <laughs> the fans will be waiting. Fans have to demand it. See, they, <laughs> There we go. Well, but they don't know, but now they will. <laughs> yeah, now they know that these things exist and they can demand. They know that something exists, so if they ask for it, maybe yeah. show something. Cool. I, yeah. Um, any other final uh, thoughts on your experience so far on Man the High Castle? Or um, 
comments to fans? Uh, well, I just, uh, we're so grateful, um, you know, for the, the support that people have, have, have shown us and the show and their interest in it. And uh, we're just, we're really excited about season three. You know, we have um, a new showrunner named Eric Overmeyer, who um, is just a really, he's just a wonderful writer. You know, he was a playwright for many years and he's, he's worked on and runs some, just some of TV's best shows. You know, he worked on The Wire and Treme and St. Elsewhere. And recently he was running Bosch for Amazon and we're really excited to have him on our show. And uh, um, I think, uh, you know, from what I hear already, that's the stuff that's been coming out of the writer's room. I, I think um, it's just going to be a really interesting and amazing uh, season that pushes the world even further. You know, I think uh, you're going to see some uh, some interesting nooks and crannies uh, in this alternate 1962 world. Ooh, Ooh, looking forward to it. <laughs> that's exciting to hear. I think. Yeah, so, good way to be a teaser without you know revealing yeah. too much. <laughs> it was well worded. Excited about it too. You know, it's just sort of you know, I sort of feel like you know this week. Um, I'm a big baseball fan, and and you know players like today are just starting to show up. You know, in all these different places for spring training, and I sort of feel like, uh, you know, we're sort of waiting to sort of get back into it too. Like just. Mm sidelines like doing stretches and <laughs> like you know doing our little training and the things that we need to get ready but uh, I just I can't wait to get back in there I can't wait to get back in that world so keto and be mean, and be mean to people <laughs> <laughs> so keto is supposed to go to go me to the baseball game apparently that was a scene we missed who said that I was joking about it though because oh. you said you like baseball so I was saying <laughs> yeah, apparently there's a scene that should have happened see you might have your you might have inadvertently put your finger on the pulse of Oh. That sounds like something that okay. could happen. <laughs> um, I'd love to go to a baseball game with Terry. All right. I like baseball. Baseball's fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. Where can people find you online again? So they, in case they just are too, you know, didn't catch it at the beginning. They can, they can find me uh, on Twitter and on Instagram at my name, Joel De La Fuente, or on Facebook. I think it's... Uh, the Joel De La Fuente. Um, I have a fan page on Twitter. The link is on your Twitter bio. Woo-hoo. So they'll be able to find you. Yeah. <laughs> if they find your Twitter, they'll find your Facebook. <laughs> cool. Nice. Who set that up? That was really smart. <laughs> it's, it's you. Um, it's totally thank you. So your, thank you so much for your time, guys. Like, I oh. really appreciate you guys doing this for the show, too. Of course. Thank you. It was so fun talking to you about um, the show and other projects you've been involved in because you're a pleasure to watch. Oh, thanks so much, and uh, uh, I hope you enjoy season three. I hope so too. Have a good off season while we'll get <laughs> in the, the stretches downtime, in, yeah. uh, all the downtime. <laughs> thanks, you guys. Oh, thanks. thank you so much. All right. All right. See you later. Okay. Bye. And that about does it for us. He yeah. was awesome. It was wonderful talking about yeah. the show and getting all the kind of random tidbits because it's fun to hear about like. I mean, there's interviews all the time with actors, but, you know, it's nice to be like, well, wait, what about this little thing? What about that little thing? And um, I, I just like this smile when he was like, so the joke's on set. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, no, you got to talk about it now. I love how you tried to pimp him into, like, no, tell us what happened. Yeah, to, to tell us specifically, it was clear that that was not. Yeah, he's no. like, no, no, I'm not going to talk about no, it. No, practical jokes happened. Yes. We're not going to talk about them. <laughs> but I think it's all that, right. We got enough. So yeah. that officially does it for oh, season yeah. two here at AfterBuzz oh. TV's coverage of Man in the High Castle. Mm-hmm. In it's the sad, meantime. It's over.
But yeah, guys, in the meantime, reach out to us. Thank you so much for reaching out to us on Twitter before when you guys couldn't find episode 9 and 10. Uh, sorry about that. I think, I don't know, technology, whatever. Um, but I appreciate that you guys were like, hey, where's this thing? Because that's so awesome to hear that you are watching our shows and like them. So give the video a thumbs up, comment down below. Um, and then, yeah, reach out to Joel. He's a very cool dude. Uh, you can find me online at Carrie D. Lane. That's K-A-R-I-D-L-A-N-E. And you guys can find me on Twitter almost exclusively. That's at Steve Kaufman. That's K-A-U-F-M-A-N-N. I do a lot of shows here at AfterBuzz TV. I tweet about them regularly. Mm-hmm. Thank you, citizens, and good night. See ya. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. <laughs> 